Sophie Hardy and the Internet Implant by Emma Dale, narrated by Leona Hall. Chapter 7, The Morning After. One of the benefits of living in a tall block of flats was that nobody could get close enough to Sophie's window to take a photo like they potentially could in a regular house. One of the downsides was that there had been at least one helicopter circling the building all night. The Hardys had arrived home to another mass gathering of reporters, some of which had gone straight to the flat after Sophie's event had taken place and some of who had followed the Hardys home from school and waited outside. Sophie could remember her dad offering to hold her hand again on the way in, but this time Sophie had refused. She had gotten out the car and walked in, straight-backed and proud of herself. She didn't need her dad to help her. Sophie had fallen asleep on the settee not long after they'd all got home. Her dad had covered her with a blanket and, as a result, Sophie had spent all night in her school uniform. Waking up, she rubbed her eyes and briefly forgot about what had happened to her. Is Lizzie still at Nan's? was Sophie's first question upon seeing her mum. Yes, she stayed there for the night, came the response. We thought she would be better out of the way, although Nan has had some reporters outside her house as well. The incident from yesterday leapt back into her memory and Sophie then didn't need to ask which Nan Lizzie was with or why. One of Sophie's Nans lived in a retirement home and had struggled for years to remember things. Her dad had told her that her husband had gone out to the shops some 30 or 40 years ago and had never come back. Grandma had struggled ever since and had spent the last 10 years just sat in a home repeatedly saying that one day he was coming back. Her mum's mum, on the other hand, was very much a part of their lives and Sophie cared greatly for her. Flicking on the television, Sophie scanned what was on. There was the normal early morning rubbish but with the added twist that photos of Sophie were showing up on all the channels. The singularity kept being mentioned by the people sat on the large settees. They were throwing out random facts about Sophie that they must have acquired from people at school, hardly any of which were true. Sophie was shocked, though, when one of them brought up the time she fainted while practising the nativity in year two. Some of the newspapers and experts even debated whether the fainting then and fainting now were related. Somehow, Sophie couldn't see a link and went to change the channel. Before she turned the news channel off, Sophie caught sight of a different video taken from in the crowd yesterday. She watched it carefully. As she remembered, King was putting the machine on her head. You couldn't see his facial expression from that distance. Then, after a split second of it being on her head, Sophie was on the floor. Like she saw yesterday, Miss Sissons was already halfway onto the stage before Sophie collapsed. Why? Sophie wasn't sure, but she kept watching. Yasmin had knelt down beside Sophie, as did Mr Houghton. From within the crowd, Katie had run forwards between all the children and found herself on stage. Mr Houghton pulled her away from Sophie and led her off the stage to the side. As the action unfolded, Miss Sissons could be clearly seen telling everyone to get back from a position kneeling down next to Sophie. Meanwhile, King had snatched the machine and left the stage. In the next few seconds, someone had stood up in front of the person taking the video and nothing else could be made out. Deciding that the video was offering up nothing dramatically new, Sophie went back to thinking about Clara. It had been six weeks since she had moved away, the last day of year five in fact. Nobody had any idea she was moving. They didn't make a card for her at school or even say a final goodbye in the last assembly. As far as Sophie was aware, nobody had seen or heard from her since the last day of last year. They had even said goodbye on the walk home that day, with Sophie assuming that she would see Clara over the holiday, but then later that evening... The note was passed under the door. Mum, have you heard from Uncle Matthew and Uncle Josh since they moved? 
Matthew Betts was Amelia's brother. He had married Uncle Josh a few years ago and the pair had adopted Clara as the only child when Clara was a newborn baby. No, dear, not sure if we'll hear from them any time soon, she said honestly. Why? Sophie asked. That's life, dear. People move away. Sophie didn't think that sounded right. Yes, friends sometimes move away and you lose touch, but not your brother. Have you been round to their house? Sophie asked, doing her best to make sense of the situation. Yes, dear. There's nobody there. They've moved away like they said so in their note. What would be the point in me going round there again? Amelia was making out that what she was saying was obvious. However, still not convinced, Sophie kept probing her. Have you video called them or tracked them? Amelia then merged from the kitchen with breakfast on a tray. She looked at Sophie and gave a half-hearted smile. They're gone, sweetie. Their implants are turned off and they clearly don't want to be found. I don't know what's happened, but they said it was nothing personal in their note. They just want a new start. Sophie was hoping to be enlightened, but was now more confused than ever. Can you drive me to school today so I don't have to walk, please? Sophie asked politely, changing the subject. Are you sure you want to go in? Tom asked, walking into the room ready for another day at the factory. You're the biggest news story that isn't about technology since the day the mythicals left. You mean the departure? Sophie asked, part excited, part petrified. Mum was shocked at what she'd just heard. Tom, don't tell her that. You'll frighten the poor girl. Sophie knew that the day the mythicals all disappeared was known as the departure because no one knew exactly what had happened or why they had gone but she was intrigued by Dad's last comment. The only other thing that had happened that day and Sophie knew to be completely unrelated was that it was Clara's birthday. Well, yeah, I want to go in, Sophie replied. I'm not sitting around here all day watching myself on the news. I may as well go. Anyway, you told Miss Sissons I would be. I think we need to talk about what happened, Tom suggested. There isn't a lot to tell, Sophie lied. I just remember blacking out and waking up on the floor. Sophie had given a lot of thought as to whether to tell her parents what was going on while she travelled back in the car yesterday. She decided that until she knew more, she would keep it between her and her friends. It wasn't that she didn't trust her mum and dad, it was just that they could stop her doing something about it, whereas her friends couldn't. There's something you're not telling us, Tom probed. You know you can tell us anything. Sophie looked at him blankly and tried really hard to hide the guilt she was feeling about lying to her dad. She decided that her parents had other things to worry about, never mind their daughter having visions. OK, I'll drive you, Tom said eventually. Can we pick up Yaz and Katie on the way? Sophie asked. Their mum sent me a message. They're going to be taking them this morning. There are just too many reporters out there, Amelia explained. Sophie was disappointed, but understood why their mums would want to protect them. Yasmin was famous in her own right and Katie really wasn't one for cameras and fuss at the best of times. After having some breakfast, a shower and a new school uniform out of the wardrobe, Sophie got the lift downstairs with her dad and the pair bravely ventured out to the car. Reporters still lined up across the car park in front of Sophie's tower block. As soon as they saw Sophie coming towards them, they ran in her direction and started firing more questions at her and Tom. Sophie did her best to block them out and shut her eyes as she pushed away her dad's offer of help. All the unwanted attention on her made it almost impossible to get to the car. Eventually, though, the pair made it. Tom had shouted down lots of reporters like yesterday and dismissed reports that Sophie was the first of a new wave of mythicals as utter nonsense. Once inside the car, the reporters kept banging on the windows, asking more and more questions. Dad had to take manual control of the car to avoid injuring anyone. He joked that he would love to run over a few feet like yesterday, but his morals got the better of him. 
While on the journey, Sophie looked out of the window and saw people going about their daily lives. Still, they were hypnotised by their screens and none of them were taking in the world around them. Sophie immediately felt sorry for them, that, at the age of 10, she had just had a really exciting, if potentially dangerous, experience that most of them would never understand. She began to wonder how empty the lives of those people were and shook her head as she imagined that if the people just had a bit more imagination and drive, then they could have something exciting happen to them. Finally, and about half an hour late, Sophie arrived at school. The Sophie Hardy Saga was written and produced by Emma Dale and narrated and produced by Leona Hall. If you enjoyed it and would like to continue to follow the adventures of Sophie and her friends in coming episodes, then please subscribe through one of the many podcast providers out there. The links for each of these can be found on our website. If you require more information, visit our many social media channels or if you would like to purchase a hard copy of the book, then be sure to check out www.sophiehardysaga.com. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy.